Welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast, a place to listen and learn about the diagnosis and treatment of chronic headache and migraine pain, because information can be the best medicine. Hello, and uh, welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Lowenstein, and today we are uh, again speaking with um, uh, headache specialist neurologist, Dr. Hossein Ansari from uh, University of California, San Diego. Uh, again, Dr. Ansari is kind of a world expert on headaches, and uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to, to be able to talk, speak with him. Uh, while I'm one of the few surgeons around the country that specialize in migraine surgery, it's, it's just a treat to be able to get the perspective of a neurologist and a headache specialist regarding the procedures uh, that surgeons uh, such as myself, perform. So thank you for being with us, Dr. Ansari, again. Thank you very much, Dr. Lowenstein, to inviting me again. And uh, again, hopefully we can uh, educate uh, your audience regarding the headache, migraine, and the different treatment that uh, we have for it. Yeah, so let's uh, today I think let's talk about uh, procedures uh, that, that uh, we can do for for headaches, uh, for migraines in, in particular. And uh, so I guess kick off by, can you tell me what kinds of procedures you recommend for your patients? Sure. Uh, for migraine, the only procedure that FDA approved is Botox treatment, and that's for chronic migraine only. And uh, so that is uh, the treatment that we are doing for over 10 years now, and we briefly talk about that during previous podcast and uh, that's relatively uh, easy procedure although sounds uh, getting uh, 20 or 30 injection in the head is a little <laughs> unpleasant for the patient but uh, you'll be surprised uh, how much patient uh, like that and they come and get the procedure because uh, it's pain when they, when they get migraine it's painful and that's definitely help for a migraine and the injection technique is a little different. I think we talked about that last time, a little different between uh, what neurologists and non-neurologist injections. Uh, but no matter what it is, it's helpful and it's uh, FDA-approved treatment for chronic migraine. The other procedure that is not approved, but uh, all of the neurologists almost, or all of the headache specialists at least uh, do that procedures are nerve block. And the different nerve block uh, we do for uh, migraine. Uh, occipital nerve block is the one that most of the uh, non-headache neurologists do, uh, but we do other nerves as well, like uh, auriculotemporal, zygomaticotemporal, and supraorbital, supratrochlear uh, nerve. These are uh, the uh, treatment uh, that give patients uh, short relief because what we do, we just use the local anesthetic injection to the nerve and basically uh, numb the nerve and uh, stop the firing of the nerve and stop the pain cycle of the migraine. So, uh, there's, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's just, I, I have also have patients who are on occasion here and they tell me that they've had their neurologist add uh, cortisone or some kind of steroid to the injection to help with inflammation. Do you do, you do that as well or, or uh, only local? So, uh, first of all, the steroid injection is only for occipital nerve. Of course, for other nerve, it's not safe. You, as a plastic surgeon, you know if you give steroid in the 
supraorbital nerve, for example, <laughs> that can cause a lot of issue, right? But in the occipital nerve, uh, sometime adding the steroid uh, might increase the uh, duration of the pain. However, there is a study done, multiple study by neurology uh, teams, and it shows in the migraine actually adding the steroid does not change anything. So that's oh, why the only time that we use the steroid for occipital nerve block in the patient who had a cluster headache or any kind of what we call the trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, which cluster is part of that uh, family of the headache disorder. Uh, so my, I personally do not use steroid in my migraine because even I found that one myself that it really doesn't matter if you use a steroid or no, the duration does not change. So when you're, um, you're talking about these different types of in, uh, injections for, for migraines, but as we've talked about on previous podcasts, uh, there's lots of different headache diagnoses. Uh, do you differentiate how you treat those with different procedures and, and different types of injections? Absolutely. And uh, in the occipital area, actually, uh, there's a lot of controversial or maybe uh, uh, problem with understanding the different type of the headache that can happen in the occipital area. So the most common pain in the occipital area, which is back of the head, is the migraine. And uh, even we call that cervicogenic migraine. There is a different diagnostic code for that. That's called cervicogenic migraine. But we also have the, the headache, which is mimic cervicogenic migraine, and that's a cervicogenic headache. That is a totally different type of the headache, although sometimes it's very similar to migraine, particularly in terms of the location, but it is different kind of headache. And in order to diagnose the cervicogenic headache, the injection uh, needs to be done by pain specialists or by neurologists who train in the pain because this is the injection that needs to be done with either ultrasound or fluoroscope and that's called a facet injection. So if the patient responds to the facet injection, then the diagnosis of cervicogenic headache confirms. So that is different kind of headache, and those are the patients will benefit from other procedure, including RFA uh, procedure. Then All right, have so I, I've, got a, I've got a technical question for you here. So this is what I don't understand about that. When we do, uh, if you're doing a, uh, occipital block, and you're doing a block, let's say, uh, with, with local, right? And, and you're getting the greater occipital nerve, and that is coming out of the C3, C2, you know, th that, that area. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, if you block the, fac the facet, doing the facet block more centrally, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get a little too technical for, for a lot of listeners, but um, if you're going uh, closer into the spinal cord for these um, uh, for these blocks, aren't you effectively also blocking what would be blocked if you did the greater occipital nerve? So yes, right. So how uh, how can you, do, you discern? You do, and you do not because in the facet you're injecting one facet, certain facet. But when we talk about the occipital nerve, there is a lot of 
variation in the yes the main one is c2 c3 but we have other area of the uh, spinal cord that occipital nerve can originate plus the other thing which is very important is the history so when you see the patient with headache based on the history at least 90 95 percent you can differentiate between cervicogenic headache and cervicogenic migraine that's one and the second thing yes in the patient with cervicogenic migraine if you do a facet block you might get response patient might get better right you right. that's your question yeah but in cervicogenic headache if you do occipital nerve block patient should not get better okay so that's so that's what i'm saying is that it seems to me that if you're if you by definition you're saying the cervicogenic headache requires a facet block for diagnosis and a successful one but it seems to me that by diagnosis you should be you should also require a unsuccessful occipital nerve block to isolate the problem being more central yes exactly and actually the response to the facet block is part of the diagnostic criteria for cervicogenic headache based on international headache society classification and so my my problem clinically when I see patients is I've, I see people who have these diagnoses who have not had these um, all of these diagnostic procedures right and so again I mean it's, personally it seems to me that it's important that you really get a diagnosis of somebody who's very familiar with headaches because misdiagnosis in in my practice seems to be somewhat rampant unfortunately exactly and let's emphasize again the diagnosis of the headache and migraine is clinical diagnosis over 95 percent of the patient percent of the time diagnosis between cervicogenic migraine and cervicogenic headache easily can be done by good history those yeah. diagnostic block is for less than five percent of the patient that symptom overlap very very basically high and sometimes clinically you cannot make the diagnosis and you need the diagnostic block okay. uh, but again the history 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 is what we make the diagnosis of the headache and migraine okay so going back to the occipital area there is a third kind of headache in the occipital area which is called occipital neuralgia you hear this from your patient i am sure a lot and we hear all the time yeah and uh, when we talk about the neurologia in general, neurologia has a definition. Neurologia means the sudden severe pain which has abrupt onset and abrupt termination. It's kind of jabbing, electric shock. So I'm, I usually uh, explain to my patient, you know, I'm sure you hit your funny bone sometime somewhere and you get that shock pain. That is neurologia. Yeah. So when, when neurologia happen in the occipital area, that's called occipital neurologia. So, but in the clinical practice, I see a lot of patients that refer to me with the diagnosis of occipital neurologia. And when you take the history, patient doesn't give you any neurologic feature of the pain. Plus, the pain is constant in the occipital area. So that's not occipital neurologia. Now, can right? occipital neuralgia lead to chronic pain? Yes, if you don't treat occipital neurologia, you still get those jabbing, jolting pain. And in between, you can have the burning sensation, a little dull pain. Uh, but again, that's very easy to diagnose the occipital neurologia from 
cervicogenic migraine and cervicogenic headache. That okay. shouldn't be problem clinically. Uh, yes, cervicogenic migraine, cervicogenic headache, sometimes difficult as we discussed, but occipital neurologia clinically, we should able to uh, basically diagnose and the, uh, one of the part of diagnostic treatment for occipital neurologia is immediate response to occipital nerve block. Got it. Now, occipital or cervicogenic migraine will also respond to occipital nerve block, correct? Cervicogenic migraine, sometimes it responds. Yes, sometimes. Sometimes. So if in the patient with migraine, cervicogenic migraine, if you do occipital nerve block and patient does not respond, you cannot tell this is not cervicogenic migraine, correct? But I in see. occipital neurologia, if you block and patient does not respond, so that's not occipital neurologia. You already ruled out that diagnosis because that's part of the diagnostic criteria. Okay. Okay. And so then... hope this is clear, you know, occipital neurology, cervicogenic headaches, cervicogenic migraine is very confusing. Even for some of my neurologist colleagues, this is a little confusing and not clear. Right. I think that's part of the problem is you have a, a patient who has head pain and uh, they may see uh, several different doctors who have several different levels of understanding of this and get several different diagnoses. And uh, it, it can be very, very frustrating um, trying to work through that, especially when your head hurts. So um, that it's, uh, I think, part of, part of the general problem with the complexity of, of headaches. And, you know, just, just for our patients, so just so you understand, you have, uh, obviously, you have your brain and you have your spinal cord that leads to your brain, and then you have nerve roots that lead to your spinal cord that need, lead to your brain, and those nerve roots go uh, out uh, in the area of the facets, so that's what a facet block is, is blocking the nerve roots. Um, and then you have the nerve trunks that lead to the nerve roots that lead to the spinal cord that lead to the brain. And then you have nerve branches that lead to, let's see, the, the nerve trunks that lead to the nerve roots that lead to the spinal cord that lead to the brain. So what we're talking about is blocking things and treating things at different levels, e either near the spinal cord or further out. And an occipital nerve block treats uh, preferably one of the nerve trunks of the greater occipital nerve. Um, and a facet block uh, treats the nerve roots, which uh, are closer to the spinal cord. So that's my little anatomy uh, lesson for today. But it, it's very, very, it, it, it's a very complex uh, subject that um, we're very fortunate to have people like Dr. Ansari to, um, uh, to help uh, elucidate and figure out. Um, so, uh, you know, from, from the perspective of a headache surgeon, um, uh, Dr. Ansari, tell me, what, what are you, what's your feeling about, about migraine surgery? Sure. Before we talk about that, just briefly, since we talked about the procedure, I forgot about another procedure which is called the spinopalatine ganglion block. Yeah. That is uh, the procedure, again, the office-based procedure. Uh, Spinopalatine ganglion is the ganglion in the back, in, in back of the nose area. And uh, with putting a little lidocaine through the nose in that area, sometimes you can block that ganglion, the nerve fibers basically that coming from ganglion. Yes. Uh, although we call it sphenopalatine ganglion, the office-based procedure that we do is not really blocks the ganglion, blocks the nerve fibers. 
we have spinopatin ganglion block by fluoroscope which done by uh, pain specialist that's different in that way they go directly and inject the spinopatin ganglion but the one that we do in the office uh, with a certain catheter uh, where there is a two company making this catheter and we put small amount of lidocaine and inject uh, uh, in through the nose then that's another F because they have FDA approval it's uh, worth to mention it here uh, so your audience uh, at least know about that procedure that also we do sometimes great yes so now going to the uh, surgical part so that is uh, of course is a very controversial subject and one thing that at the beginning we need to talk about that is the origin of the pain in migraine and uh, it is very important to uh, know where is the pain in the migraine is originate because when we talk about uh, neurologists of course they call migraine is a brain disorder so this is both right and not right and right but not incomplete yes for the uh, migraine is a brain disorder but the question is if the pain part of the migraine is originate from the brain then go to the periphery or originate from the periphery then go to the brain or both that is the uh, key question that we need to answer chicken or uh, the egg yeah exactly which nobody will be able to answer exactly this is chicken or an egg nobody is going to answer this because it's very clear that both and actually if you look at the lot of new literature by uh, very giant headache uh, expert uh, in the article that they published multiple article that they published they are telling yes the pain is peripheral the pain in the migraine is more peripheral and even the new uh, monoclonal antibody, which we discussed last time, this anti-CGRP medication, those medication does not even pass the blood-brain barrier. So that doesn't even work inside the brain. So how the, uh, those uh, medication help uh, headache? Because they work in the periphery. And that's why we, or at least I think the pain part of the migraine has more peripheral uh, pathophysiology rather than central but migraine is brain disorder because migraine is not just headache this is uh, your audience can go to our first uh, our first podcast. discussion topic, yeah. yeah exactly we told migraine is not just headache and not every headache is migraine but when we talk about the migraine headache part of the migraine most likely originate from the peripheral and another simple and clear example or reason that i'm talking about this this nerve block which i do every day in my clinic and most of the headache physician does so if the pain is originate purely from the brain why when the patient with the migraine particularly at the beginning of their attack come and we do nerve block which is purely peripheral procedure right is right completely out below even think about this auriculotemporal nerve which you operate all the time is superficial nerve right below the Absolutely. skin right right so you block that nerve superficial su superficial auriculotemporal and patient pain completely subside in 10 minutes why yeah and 
I mean, I, or, or I'm, I'm ju- kind of jumping ahead, I think, to some degree, but I guess one of the things that I, I struggle with is when people hear about migraine surgery, they think it's brain surgery, and it's not. You know, what migraine surgery does is operates on peripheral nerves, and it's outpatient, and it's just a couple hours, and, uh, you know, it, it's not brain surgery because it's it, the, the, what we're treating is not the central portion of the migraine. We're treating the, the beginnings, the triggers that cause the pain, like, like you said. Exactly. And sometimes it's not even a couple hours for this auricular temporal. Yeah, uh, you know, the, I, I actually 10 minutes. Exactly. It's literally 10 minutes by the time you right. start and finish. So, yes, this is not brain surgery. And basically what migraine surgeon does, does the block the nerve uh, permanently. So rather than doing repeated block patient, I have the patient, uh, I think last time we mentioned, come every two weeks to do the nerve block for years. So in that patient, rather than patient come every two weeks and put this needle in the head and inject and numb the nerve, you basically permanently block the nerve, either with decompression and in uh, one of the nerve, which is like gomoticotemporal nerve with avulsion of the nerve. So that is very simple uh, concept. And uh, again, I, I, I really don't know why the, some, some people really struggle or try to question this uh, very, very easy concept. Even if you look at the old headache booth, I, I like the history of the headache. And there is a, a very, very old uh, physician in Iran, uh, in, in Avicenna. He's very famous, actually, he has a book. And if you look at his book, it's very interesting. The way that he treats uh, or uh, the headache patients sometimes, he put the, the tight band in the area of the head and ties it exactly in the area that is nerve there. If you look at his book, the picture that he huh. has in his book is very interesting how he does the same thing that we do now with the nerve block and you do with the decompression surgery interesting so that is nothing so rather than do chemical nerve block which we do in office you're doing mechanical nerve block is that right uh well yes yes and no so i think that you know when we are dividing or avulsing the nerve then we are doing a permanent nerve block when we're decompressing the nerve we are taking away an irritant, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the question is, why are you having the head pain? Well, you're having the head pain because the peripheral nerve is sending distress signals to, to, the, to the brain. And so when you do a nerve block, we're, we're um, chemically stopping those distress signals. When we cut the nerve, we are mechanically stopping those distress signals. And when we decompress the nerve, uh, we are preventing the surrounding structures from putting pressure on the nerve to that that makes those distress signals. So when we decompress the nerve, the nerve's still intact. So ideally, you still have feeling in the area of the nerve. And again, all of these nerves are sensory nerves. They're not motor nerves. So the occipital nerves provide sensation to your scalp. So when you touch the back of your head, uh, your occipital nerve branches are picking up the feelings of you touching the back of your head and sending it to your brain. When we do a nerve block uh, or cut the nerve, then you don't feel that uh, that you're touching your your 
your scalp because the nerve is not able to send that signal. When we decompress the nerve, uh, the nerve stays intact. So once the healing is done, you still feel uh, in that area, but because there's no nothing pushing on the nerve to cause distress, then the distress signals don't exist and the, the pain is not there. Exactly. That's, that's why I'm calling is kind of block, right? I mean, you're basically blocking the nerve from having distress from outside muscle yes, or right. arteries or vessel. Correct. And even in one of your one of the nerve, which is auriculotemporal, now you're cauterizing the artery. You're not yeah. even doing any decompression. All you do is cauterize the artery, which that pulsation of the artery in the nerve stops. So basically, you're permanently blocking that nerve uh, by uh, our pulsation of the arteries. So and that's for patients who have a lot of times they have pulsating pain in their temples. Um, Dr. Ansari is talking about the auricular temporal nerve, which goes right along uh, the temporal artery right in front of the, the ear and is actually just below the skin. A lot of people, you can just feel your pulse in front of your ear and you get got a nerve that's right there as well. And so uh, that pulsation pushes on the nerve, causes a distress signal to be sent to your brain every time your heart beats, and you get this pulsating pain, and uh, man, that's that's really easy to fix. Yes. Okay, so going back to the surgery, right? The, your question is when we do surgery, or uh, what? Well, so who do you who do you recommend surgery for? Okay, so. Let's be very clear. So migraine treatment still is the medical treatment. So that there is no question because a majority of the patient will respond to the medical treatment. First of all, the surgery is kind of prophylactic treatment. If again, your audience can go back to the, our second podcast, where we talk about the abortive versus preventive. So if the patient does not need to be in preventive treatment, that means patient get one headache per week response with the tripton. So he doesn't need to be on any preventive treatment, including surgical inter intervention. Right. Uh, so that percentage of the patient that needs to be on preventive, but cannot tolerate the preventive, or preventive treatment does not respond in them, those are the people that we can consider surgical intervention. When we talk about the consider, that means not all of the patient that does not respond to the medical treatment will be surgical candidate. From that patient also, small percentage will be candidate for surgical intervention. So who is that small percentage? So number one is, the diagnosis needs to be clear. Make sure there is no other contributing factor or comorbid factor playing a role in the patient's headache and migraine. And uh, the main contributing factor that you as a surgeon and all of the surgeon colleague needs to be aware of that is medication overuse headache, which still biggest problem in the headache medicine hmm. and uh, so this is something that we have to make sure that patient does not have medication overuse headache before doing any surgical intervention for multiple reasons 
Number one, if patient is medication overuse headache, very, very unlikely procedure, if it, even if it's done correctly in the correct nerve, won't be successful because medication overuse headache is a different animal. It's not simple headache. This is basically type of the headache that affect the brain. Medication overuse headache is the headache that originate from the brain. It, this mm -hmm. is different than migraine, which we talk about that, and I think pain of the migraine is peripheral, but the pain in the medication overuse headache is purely central, and you cannot fix the central uh, centrally originated pain by interacting in the peripheral level. So can I ask you, if you have a patient with a medication overuse headache, can a can an occipital nerve block um, work sometimes? Sometimes it works, uh, but that doesn't mean anything because that patient with medication overuse headache probably has my underlying migraine or some other headache disorder, right? Mm -hmm. So you're treating for the short term, you might treat that underlying headache and patient get better. Plus, remember, every time you do any injection, you have a very high rate of placebo response, particularly in the patient who are in chronic pain. Mm. So that's why it's, uh, that is very, very, I always emphasize even two weeks ago during the migraine surgery course, my talk was about the medication overuse headache mm. and importance of that because that is, that is the biggest issue that we have in the headache medicine. Let's actually ask you, maybe it would be interesting for your audience also, what do you think the percentage of the medication overuse headache in uh headache clinics what percentage of the patient that come to the headache clinic had medication overuse headache uh, i'm gonna say 25 percent. okay so in the tertiary headache center and this is actually published in the tertiary headache center 50 to 80 percent of the patient wow. that's seen in the clinic have medication overuse headache and in my clinic in san diego i'm towards 80 percent side for sure wow yeah, well, I, mean, I remember you telling me that, uh, in the, I guess our first podcast, that Excedrin was evil, uh, was was not a good thing for, for a headache. And, Excedrin, and, and there is, of course, opioid and yeah. uh, the medication that we hate called Fioricet. Yeah. And that is the medication that's extremely overused. And that's a problem. Opioid also, even in um, this year, 2018, uh, data show opioid increased prescription increase for headache patient. And wow. this is something that actually Dr. Ashina in uh, American Headache Society in Philadelphia a few months ago presented and uh, there is also online <clears throat> webcast that he has and he talked about that. And so that, that is very wow. unfortunate, very unfortunate yeah. that we have this issue. And uh, again, everybody needs to be careful. And uh, your audience, if they are taking opioid for the headache or Fioriset for the headache or Excedrin for the headache, needs to be really careful because the chance that they have medication overuse headache is very high and when you have medication overuse headache the the pathophysiology of the headache shift from peripheral to central and that will be extremely difficult to treat okay um so so let me ask you like how how many patients would you say you have you referred for for migraine surgery so uh, you it's 
hard to tell the number, but uh, I can tell maybe one percent of the patient that I see. Okay, one so percent. That, that percentage is that small because, right. as I mentioned, most of the patient responds to the treatment, and uh, okay, good. So although I have to tell that one of the reason that maybe a percentage is a little smaller because of the financial problem because this is not approved by insurance insurance doesn't cover and not yeah. all of the patient had financial uh, basically ability to go for this procedure so if financial problem was not there maybe that percentage can go to five percent or so yeah so potentially five percent of patients would be candidates but one percent of patients actually go through with it and and we're we are okay and you're preaching to the choir here that uh we are dealing we deal with insurance companies all the time and it's it's unfortunate you think do you think that's gonna change as far as the uh insurance companies i doubt it i doubt it really yes so from in general, I'd say that the, the the surgical community is optimistic. <laughs> so that's that's an interesting. Uh, no, it's not going to happen, and the reason of that is more political. So we cannot discuss here out loud. <laughs> but uh, I will tell you later why this is not going to happen. Okay. All right. Um. So I guess, uh, do you think? I mean, we see referrals from people at your level for for surgery because you're a, you know you're truly a, a headache specialist and very familiar with the, with the surgery um tell me uh you know why do you think it, it seems to me that there are many less referrals than there should be from general Neurologists, and I can tell you personally that when I t- I've talked to neurologists in the past, <clears throat> I've even t- spoken to a couple of uh, headache specialists in the past and told them about what I do, and their answer was, "Well, it doesn't work." And so my response to that is, "You know, hey, that's interesting, and um, can you please, you know, get me the studies that you're citing for?" for the fact that this doesn't work and they'll go well you know we don't i don't really have studies i just know it it doesn't work and then i say well if you don't mind i i have this huge stack of studies that says it does work if you'd like to review it and so i'm not sure if it's just people are not aware of uh, of the surgery of the success um or if there's some kind of medical versus surgical bias against um people referring uh, for surgery or, you know, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about the kind of the thoughts of the medical community of, uh, in general about this. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the, one of the main reason is uh, lack of knowledge about this procedure. So a lot of people doesn't even know about that at all. Neurologists. So when they talk, I mean, I talk to different neurologists, they don't even know that such a thing exists. And uh, then even when you talk to them or they basically superficially look at that, they think, oh, it's a brain surgery. They don't even go in that. Right, field. right. It's not even brain surgery. Yeah. So that is other thing. And the third thing is this pathophysiology 
part that we discussed today, peripheral versus central, there's still, I think, a majority of neurologists believe that the migraine is a purely central phenomena and disease. And they think migraine is purely brain disease. And that's why they think and they believe that something that's purely central and from the brain uh, doing any procedure in the peripheral uh, does not work. Although when I talk to those neurologists, they say, so why you do nerve block? Do you think you're injecting inside the brain? And I say, well, no. Nah. So they, there's no answer, obviously, right? <laughs> why, do, yeah, why do you think, what is the thought? I mean, I, I think I understand why Botox works. But when you talk to a neurologist, what do they think that Botox is doing to? Again, there's a two, two theory for the Botox. One is a mm -hmm. central theory and one is peripheral. But what is approved is peripheral because yeah. the way that FDA approved the Botox say intramuscular injection. Mm -hmm. So when you inject in the muscle, Botox works in neuromuscular junction. That's all we know about the Botox. Rest of them is theory and just shown in animal and mainly in rat that might have some central effect. So in the human, it does not show that it have any central effect. Plus, again, it's approved for intramuscular injection. Until another study done and they inject the Botox around the nerve or sub-Q, which now some of the headache experts believe that and does that. And we talk about the headache experts say, oh, no, no, we are not even injecting the muscle. We are injecting in the nerve or around the nerve. In the... But that's not FDA approved. FDA approved as an intramuscular injection. And Botox in the intramuscular works in neuromuscular junction, which is purely peripheral pathophysiology. So, and just to, again, you know, from, from my perspective, what you have is Botox prevents the muscles from contracting around the nerves, which exactly. prevents the distress signals from going through the nerve to, you know, to the brain causing the pain. And so that's, for me, if you have success with, with Botox, then it's quite likely that you're gonna have success with surgery because what I'm doing is mechanically preventing the muscles from uh, irritating the, the nerves as opposed to the Botox, which chemically prevents the muscles from squeezing on the nerves. Yes, so. exactly. You're doing basically the same thing that the Botox does, but as a permanent rather than do every three months. And in fact, in, uh, in the initial study that uh, Dr. Gayuran did, he selected the patient based on response to the Botox, although that's not the case now. We know we now use the, what we call the constellation of the symptom to select the patient for surgery and not the Botox. But the original study that he did, he used right. Botox for patient selection. And even now, we know the patient that responds to the Botox, they have a better chance to respond to surgery because of what you exactly do in the surgery is like what exactly Botox does chemically. Except, so that makes sense. Uh, except that, you know, my argument for, to, to, for some of that is, you know, I, I've, I have colleagues who still use Botox as a screening um, technique. And, you know, you have to respond to Botox before uh, they'll, they'll operate. And, um, you know, my, 
my issue with that is particularly in the front when you have the supraorbital and supratrochlear nerves that are causing headaches that are happening in the front and you can put Botox there and prevent the muscles from squeezing on those nerves. But if it's the bone that's squeezing on those nerves uh, or blood vessels, um, and similarly in the occipital area, you have the occipital artery, which is very often the, the, the problem crossing the, the occipital nerve, um, the Botox is not necessarily going to affect non-muscle things like fascia, bone, or, or blood vessels. And so even if you don't respond to Botox, um, I, I don't think that means that you're not a surgical candidate. I've had great success in patients who have not responded to Botox but had great success with, you know, with decompression surgery. Absolutely. That's why there's no more we are doing the Botox screening. Yeah. So if patient has response to Botox, that's a good, but does not have a response to the Botox, that doesn't mean that they won't respond to the surgery. Yeah, and that's and, an important. Uh, beside yeah. uh, the point that you mentioned about the vessel bone, there is even muscle the contraction, some muscle pressure on the nerve might not respond to the Botox. And the simple example that I can give it to you in the patient who had cervicogenic migraine, the one that in the back of the head. So the way that uh, preempt trial or FDA approved Botox treatment uh, for the uh, migraine approved, they use 0.5 inch needle in the area all of the area. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a surgeon, you know, if you use 0.5 inch needle right. in the occipital area, which we need to target semi-spinalis capitis muscle, correct? Right. Yeah. So in what deeper. percentage of the time with 0.5 inch needle, you can target that muscle? I'm asking you as a surgeon. Yeah. Um, only very, very thin, uh, likely women who uh, it, it, very, very few. That, that muscle is quite deep and you're gonna, you know, when I do a nerve block, I use a inch and a half uh, needle. And so I actually, I hadn't realized that, that, the, that the needle was only uh, a half an inch needle. Uh, yes, actually we done. published this study a few years ago. It's, it's on, in the PubMed, you can see, and we actually looked at the BMI and we showed with the CT scan that, you know, with the half inch needle, the chance that you reach that muscle is almost zero. So yeah. that basically, so that patient had occipital, uh, basically headache, migraine, from the compression of the occipital nerve by semispinalis capitis, right? Yeah. yeah. And that patient getting Botox by preempt trial is not going to respond. So that means that doesn't respond to surgery? Absolutely not. That case is perfect case for surgery because compression point in the semispinalis capitis, as you know, is one of the biggest uh, trigger for the migraine. Right. So that patient greatly will respond. That's why the Botox uh, uh, selection is out now and we don't use that. We use the constellation of the symptom, which is the best way to select the patient for surgery. And then, you know, and, and you know, I, I go through a lot of education about uh, kind of diagnostic versus therapeutic um, nerve blocks, but everybody who I operate on, um, I actually like to do the nerve blocks myself and uh, prove that we can, you know, with a little bit of lidocaine, I can uh, improve the pain. 
and uh, that's that's my screening for knowing that I can make the the patient better with surgery. But uh, that's a that's a little different than the therapeutic nerve blocks that a headache specialist or other neurologist might do on a chronic basis. Of just keep on trying to break the pain cycle and and uh, treat things in that manner. So. Um, so let me ask you one last question here. Do you think you're pessimistic about insurance accepting this? Are you as pessimistic uh, as at the general neurology uh, and medical community becoming more acceptance of uh, accepting of it? Uh, yes, I think. And uh, it's unfortunate, but I think uh, that could be very difficult. Do you think and again, yeah. mainly for political reasons, which we cannot uh, talk here. So you think that it's 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 also going to be difficult to get the medical community to accept surgery? Yes, yes. That's why the the best way to just educate the patient, and uh, so the patient at least know that this procedure is an option in a small percentage of the patient, and uh, so then they see the right surgeon and right headache specialist that can screen and make sure the patient is candidate and go from there. I think yeah, you, so you need to go the way that you're doing, I think the best way because you're educating the patient. They need to know there is option. Uh, and also they need to know that this option is not for everybody. And right. also they need to know that they need to see the headache expert who uh, at least open to this uh, procedure or at least agree that might be helpful and then go from there unfortunately not not much of the headache uh, expert or my colleague uh, agree with this but again i so, see the success and i can tell you for sure my happiest patient are the patient that had migraine surgery i even get the every year i get the new year's card from some of my patient from ohio uh, yeah. And they send me New Year's card and the Christmas cards, and they thanks me after years and years. So, but I never get any thank you card or any card from the patient that I treat with medicine, although they got better. So that's <laughs> well, as I've said before, I mean that's this is the it's the most it's the most gratifying part of my practice. I even yesterday I had a patient who I operated on who had migraine, and she had the whole spectrum, including. Um, dizziness and uh, imbalance and she used to use a walker and when I first saw her she would hold on to the wall to, to come in she sent me yesterday a picture uh, a video from her school from her from her son's school they had a whole obstacle course here and she did like the whole tire uh, thing like you do in, when you're practicing for football you know you go one foot into one tire one and running through this whole thing and then a whole obstacle course and uh, you know a thank you with it and it's just it's the best it's it's really it's a yeah, good feeling it's, <laughs> it's really really wonderful well Dr. Ansari again uh, you know thank you very very much I do want to say that um, my our, our last episode of uh, pr prior to this of uh, this podcast, I posted an interview that uh, that I was uh, where I was on somebody else's podcast that goes into the details of uh, migraine surgery, so uh, and nerve decompression surgery. So if um, you're kind of interested in hearing the sure. the surgical um, 
the the surgical perspective on surgery and how it's done and, and what kinds of things to expect, then, um, then please listen to the, the previous uh, podcast. Um, but, you know, Dr. Ansari, this is our third podcast together, and I have to tell you they're the most educational, uh, and I really, really appreciate uh, your, you know, your interest and your help in, in educating uh, the, the, the public and, uh, and everything you do. So thank you very, very much. Thank you very much for having me again, and have a great day. All right. Uh, thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll all uh, talk again soon about uh, yet another interesting topic uh, related to migrants. Yes. I mean, I, I think the next topic that we need to focus will be the the idea of the sinus headache. So that is something that I, I see a lot of uh, misunderstanding uh, in, in general population and even the physicians, so we can certainly talk about that and uh, that will be interesting because that's also related to the surgery one of the trigger points is no nose in the migraine as you know right so well, that's we great and we can talk about that all right we'll put that on the schedule great thanks very much sure. thank you mm -hmm. hey everybody this is dr lowenstein once again and i have two last things to ask of you firstly the thing you can do for fellow headache sufferers is to please remember to subscribe and rate our podcast the more ratings and subscriptions that we get, the more visibility that we'll get, and the more listeners will be able to find us, and the more help and information we'll be able to provide the huge population of people who suffer from headache pain. Secondly, please remember that the treatment of headaches of all types is very individualized. The purpose of this podcast is not to give medical advice, so please use the information here on this podcast and elsewhere that you hear on the internet to broaden your knowledge, but consult with your physician before acting on any information that you hear on podcasts or see on YouTube or read anywhere on the internet. I, as a physician, don't necessarily endorse the opinions or practices of my guests, and if you have particular questions that you'd like to consult with me directly about, please call our Headache Surgery Center. Our phone number is 805-969-9004, or you can email us at info at and my staff will set up a consultation, and we can discuss your specific case over the phone or in person. Our website is filled with information as well, and that is headachesurgery.com. Thanks and best wishes from all of us here at the Headache 360 Podcast.